Welcome to the Taxing Subjects Podcast. I'm Ryan Norton. Now, every two years, Drake Software surveys tax professionals to see if they've changed what they charge to prepare returns. And that results in the How Do Your Tax Prep Fees Stack Up series of infographics. In 2019, Drake surveyed 3,500 tax professionals, asking them to address a number of tax prep fee-related issues. How they charge for 1040 preparation services, whether hourly, by the form, etc. What types of payment they accepted, cash, check, credit card, refund settlement product, that kind of thing. And whether they required payment prior to filing a return and how they planned to increase their fees next filing season, in this case for 2020. Now, respondents came from a wide variety of backgrounds. 37% were CPAs, 27% were EAs, just 2% were attorneys, and 34% of respondents did not hold a professional designation. And as for the type of market they served, we had 20% from rural, 43% served a suburban area, 36% a city or urban area, and less than 1% served out-of-country or military clients. And finally, we had an interesting mix of office sizes. 5% prepared between 0 and 20 returns, 26% prepared 21 to 100 returns, 47% 101 to 500 returns, and then 14% prepared 501 to 1,000, and just 8% prepared more than 1,000 returns in the previous filing season. For a little more context, this is the first time that Drake has conducted one of these surveys since the implementation of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So it should be interesting to see if the tax overhaul legislation also affected tax prep fees. One of the best ways to find that out would be to go over those results. Uh, in this case of the 2019 How Do Your Tax Prep Fees Stack Up survey with a tax professional. And that's why we reached out to one of our frequent guests, Jim Lowe, EA, a 25-year veteran of the tax industry and owner of AVL Tax Professionals in Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thanks. Glad to be here. One thing I want to ask you uh, before we get into this mm -hmm. would just be, could you talk to uh, or talk about your tax practice? Uh, I know that you've done that before on your previous appearances on the podcast, but uh, in case listeners did not hear you back then, and you should go check that out, could you uh, just kind of go over uh, your tax practice, what you do, the size, that sort of thing? Sure, sure. Um, and I think that matters, too, when we talk about statistics, because mm -hmm. when you've got so many different size and type offices, um, the answers to some of these questions are going to vary depending on your practice. But we, we have a family practice. It's my wife, daughter, and I. Um, we predominantly do individual tax returns. Um, and we do some corporate and partnership, probably about 10% or uh, uh, entity returns. Mm -hmm. um, and we fall into the 14% uh, there, the 500 to 1,000 returns. So I wouldn't call us high volume, but we have a significant volume. Mm -hmm. um, and that will help kind of address my perspective of fees, which may right. be totally different for somebody that's doing a lot more returns or less returns I would think so, right but I think there's value in just having the discussion absolutely um, kind of helps you know also where you're at in the marketplace sure sure and that sort of thing too and, and maybe where the wind's blowing exactly 
Uh, well, let's just then jump into it. Our, our first right. official question about the how do your tax prep fees stack up survey. Um, and we're going to start with um, how tax professionals collected fees for their services during the tax year 2018 filing season. So last, well, this year, yeah. but for the previous the tax year. tax year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's a three-parter. Um, one, how they charge for 1040 prep services. Two, uh, what types of payment options uh, they provided. And three, whether they required payment prior to filing a return. So the first of those then would be uh, how preparers charged for their 1040 prep services. And the numbers we have are 18% charged by the hour, 44% charged by forms included on the return, 20% charged by categories they created, and then 18% use some other method. Um, what changes, Jim, if any, uh, should we expect to see in the way tax professionals charge for their services, especially in light of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act making the standard deduction so attractive? Sure. Well, um, a couple things. For instance, we we charge by the form um, and then also charge additional if there's a complicated matter. Gotcha. But I, I would just use QBI as an example. You know, you can't it, it's hard to charge for a form for QBI. There are some new forms that are going to be out this year that we can actually attach a cost to. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that goes behind that form. And I would say not one size fits all. Right. So um, we charge by the form, but we also have additional charges for additional time that it takes for us to um, prepare the return and do it accurately and with the knowledge that's needed. What types of payment options do you provide? Uh, now, just for listeners at home, uh, this was a choose all that apply category for obvious reasons because. Uh, not all tax offices will accept all these things, but many will accept two, maybe three different payment methods. Mm. 89% accepted cash. 97% let people pay, pay with a check. Uh, 56%, so more than half, took credit and debit cards. Um, interestingly, 24% supported a digital payment service like PayPal or Apple Pay. And then... Um, 16% allow clients to pay with a refund settlement product, uh, which is something we probably can talk about too, Jim. That Those are interesting. Um, but now those cash check and payment card responses, those are seem pretty t- typical. Um, most people accept cash and I would assume check. But um, that one quarter of people accepted an electronic payment service seems like we're turning a corner or there's something, something is shifting in how we accept payments. And I don't think that it's necessarily confined to the tax prep industry either. But um, I guess my question then is, is twofold. Um, do you think that we will see uh, a number increase over the next five to 10 years for those electronic payment services, maybe edge closer to the credit card number, like maybe half of all tax offices accept digital payment services and then the second part of that question would be um, what do you make of that 16 percent supporting refund settlement products and maybe when you get into the refund settlement products explain for listeners what those are just in case at their office maybe they don't offer them they don't know what they are that sort of thing so where do you think we'll be with respect to digital payment and then what do you think about that refund settlement product number 
Okay. Um, I, I guess our office does all five of those. Um, the 24%, the Apple, the PayPal, we use um, EPS through the Drake Document Manager where we can send an electronic bill. Um, we had never used that before until last year, and it was we it was very convenient for us and for our client, uh, particularly if, if we're doing everything digital through the Secure File Pro where we're um, encrypting everything and exchanging their tax return there. We just send the bill, they get it, they pay it, and it's done. So we don't, they don't have to call with a credit card. It, it, I can see that m moving to be more frequent. Even if they come in and pick up their return, but they still have to get their spouse's signature, right. they can send that back, and we can send them the bill that way, and they can just pay it at home. So I, I, see, it, I see it moving that direction more, and it's convenient for us and for the client as well. And, and those platforms are secure platforms too, so it's... Exactly. Um, I don't know that we would recommend people use email to exchange... Exactly. Uh, yes. Don't please yeah. don't send me your credit card information. Although they do, and you're, <laughs> you know, ju just don't. They're not getting those IRS uh, news releases. No, like they are. are. They are not. They should. <laughs> they really should. They really should. <laughs> so, as far as the refund settlement um, products, I, I guess a little bit about my history. For the first fifteen years, I managed a high volume, um, heavily refund settlement product driven business okay. and probably 80% of the returns we did had some type of a bank product attached whether it was a refund anticipation loan or a refund transfer so I've seen the value of those and um, particularly back in the days when people could get their refund advanced to them that's a real need um, for a lot of taxpayers it's not something we offer at our office, but I understand the need for it. Mm. We've seen, we've had, I would say maybe 8% of our volume, we use a settlement product, and that number has been declining. Um, we've been open eight years now. It's just declines every year. I think a lot of that is the type of client that, um, had used that project product is probably filing their own return now and they really don't need prepar help with their preparation gotcha or they don't think they do anyway yeah. so it's a different story entirely. I don't I don't see that product going away um, because a lot of people can't afford quality tax preparation service without having it taken from their refund they just can't afford to pay for that service when the service is rendered but I have to go back to the one question, do you require payment in advance? Um, no, but we really should. <laughs> we really should. But it, we don't have a ho horrible collection pro problem, but it's just more keeping up. Oh, they said they'd send a check. Oh, they yeah. forgot, you know, whatever. So, well, speaking yeah. of that, actually, um, on that number, it was 48% wanted their money up front for, for services provided, and then 52%. So you're at least in the bigger bucket of people who don't I guess do not so. require. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me feel any better. But <laughs> <laughs> so then my question would be um, about that. Uh, why might a practice choose one over the other? And then um, do you think that requiring upfront payment uh, might preclude 
other options that might be available to a practice to to collect those fees, like say a refund settlement product? Um, I, I think it depends on the office and what people are typically used to. My guess is the prepayment is probably a, a more highly professional office. As far as expecting payment, I mean, p- part of it is what we do for a living. For instance, if you take your car to get it repaired and you go in and say, well, I need the keys. I forgot my my checkbook. I forgot my credit card. They're like, I'm sorry, you don't get your car. Yeah. If somebody has already signed for the return, we're required to file that return. So it, it is a little bit different. But I think if an office is struggling with getting paid and their and their uh, receivables start getting higher than normal, then I think they should look a little more seriously at the refund settlement products just so they can be assured they're going to get paid. But you also keep in mind, if you don't know your client well enough, if their refund is offset, then you don't get paid. So, you know, there's a lot of different angles to look at at the same yeah. time. So just then look at your situation. Exactly. And then move accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the, the three-part question number two. Let's move on to the third question. Um, and we're going to look at tax professionals and how they adjust their services Excuse me. We're going to look at, how, at whether tax professionals would adjust the the fees for their services next filing season, um, and this one is particularly interesting. Four um, percent said that they would increase fees by more than ten percent. Fifty one percent, so more than half, said that they would increase fees by up to ten percent. Forty four percent said that they would not change their fees at all. And then less than 1% said that they would actually reduce their fees in the upcoming filing season. So in 2020. Um, since more than half said that they would either move up to 10 or above 10. So that'd be 55% in total if you take those two buckets together. Um, which is, spoiler alert, that's basically what people's fees raised by over the past two years. Um, and that's for forms 1040, uh, 1040s with a Schedule A, and then 1040s with a Schedule C. Um, other returns we'll get into a little bit later down the road in this podcast. But basically, over a two-year period, it raised by 7 to 10%. And they're saying they want to raise rates by 10%. So maybe um, what do you think about that? Why is it um, are these fees going up again? And do you think it's because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? Or is it just like... Uh, like an adjustment for inflation. What, what do you think the, the, the reasons are for rates starting to go up again uh, in the upcoming season? I think there's a lot of reasons. And, of course, the tax bill that passed is a big one. Mm-hmm. I know for us going into last year with all those changes, we didn't really do a whole lot with our pricing because we just didn't know what it was going to be like. Right. Um, and so we will – have an increase this year, I'm sure. When we asked, when we're trying to evaluate these increases, I think we just have to step back probably to when um, the health care bill passed and how that slowly implemented into the tax, um, tax return. And then we just keep compounding more due diligence for the tax professional, right. which a self-prepared return, that person doesn't have to go through all that. 
you know, we added head of household last year. You, you start looking at the Form 8867 and compare it to five years ago, and you're like, how do they even fit it on, you know, the pages that they have? So I think, I think a lot of the fee increase is catch-up because we as a tax professional industry have continued to absorb and somebody will say, well, your software does it. Well, the software calculates it, but we still have to understand what the software is doing. Mm-hmm. So I I see that continuing to increase. Um, you know, the QBI alone, I mean, yes, the software is doing it, but you're still try- you still have to make sure it's doing it right, that they qualify, all those kind of things. So I think that's probably, in my opinion, the reason you're seeing continual increases right your software is not the thing that's liable for due diligence exactly exactly or understanding whether somebody qualifies for something or not right it's not just clicking a box obviously yeah well jim let's let's look at um what professionals actually charge for the returns and i kind of did spoil that a little bit in the last question with respect to the percentage increases Mm -hmm. um we didn't get into some of the more significant increases um but I just want the audience to remember that these numbers are averages derived from all responses. Uh, they are not broken down by professional designation, market location, that kind of thing. Um, a basic Form 1040 was right around $159. That's a 7% increase over the previous two years. Uh, 1040s with a Schedule A were $210. It's a 10% increase. And then 1040s with a Schedule C were uh, 297 that was an eight percent increase um, now the three types of returns that did see a very significant price increase and there were several in this in this category as far as just the return types that we examined but these are just the ones we're uncovering the podcast mm-hmm. you can go download sure. the full infographic to read the whole breakdown but um, the first one was the form 990 tax exempt returns those saw a 66% increase uh, this past year, uh, $855. Um, Form 1120S, uh, the S Corporation returns, those went up 50%. Uh, that's $623. And then finally, the 1120 Corporation returns, C Corps, were 21% higher uh, in 2019. So that was $719. Uh, would you say then that those 10% increases? Um, for the basic 1040 returns over the two-year period is a typical? I know you mentioned that we're always trying to catch up in the tax industry. Yeah, and I do think some of it's inflationary also. Okay. Um, And then the next one would be, what do you think caused those um, statistically interesting jumps? Um, You mentioned QBI. So do you think that stuff like that, these these new um, deductions that maybe have more moving parts are contributing to these uh, more expensive prep costs? Um, I can't speak to the 990. I don't do 990s, and I do very few um, 1120s. But QBI is a big factor um, in the S Corporation for certain. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem there and the reason why I think we're seeing fee increases is because we're always trying to explain to our clients, you've got to take reasonable salary, you have to take reasonable salary. Well, you don't get QBI on reasonable salary. So now all of a sudden, 
they're saying, I don't think my salary needs to be that high because I want to get that 20% QBI. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more due diligence for prof- tax professionals on the 1120S. There's so many of them there that's a common um, a common tax uh, structure for a small business. That would be my guess. Now, the, um, the, the, C, uh, uh, the C Corporation, the 1120, um, you know, the only issue there that changed significantly was the tax rate structure itself. Right. So there could be a lot of trying to decide, do I want to be a C, do I want to be an S? Under this new paradigm, what what really is the best structure for me? Mm-hmm. So that could be some of that increase as well. Now, Jim, when it comes to local markets, um, now an interesting trend has kind of emerged. Uh, suburban preparers, on average, either – were charging on par with the city and urban counterparts, or they were a little bit more. Um, now, where they were more on the Schedule A was not quite as much. Um, it was just a few dollars difference, like $3, mm-hmm. when compared to city preparers. But they charged roughly $15 on average more for Schedule C returns. Um, and as predicted, rural preparers tended to be the, the least expensive and for... for Obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some factors that could lead to like a suburban preparer charging more than uh, a city preparer? You know, I just don't have a whole lot of experience knowing those different markets. The, uh, a couple of things come to mind. In a suburban area, I think you're looking more at a at a probably a larger office that's drawing more clients you know it'd be interesting if you could look at this and and look at it with the volume of the office as well but i think in a suburban area you're you probably have a larger office with bringing more people Mm -hmm. in a city or urban it could be um a smaller office it could be somebody operating part-time out of their home where their overhead's not so high. So it, it, it's very difficult, really, to tell. Um, yeah. And if we look at the number of city, urban, we had 36% were city and urban, mm-hmm. and 43% were suburban. So like you say, within a city, you can have someone who has a super high volume, or they may be, like you say, just Exactly, because up. we don't know what the volume of those city, urban, or rural are as far as per office down exactly yeah Yeah. it's just it's really hard to try to determine that um you know for instance my family lives in pennsylvania small town probably the size well about the size of franklin Mm -hmm. um and so we you know they're my family so i do their return for free but i when we started one of them sent a copy of their prior year return they charged 60 dollars for it well, you know, the, I think the guy was just, you know, working out of his house, and yeah. that's all he needed to charge. So it's just hard to tell. And, of course, you don't – you never want to say just because you have a big office you, you're you more experienced because the person that's working out of their home could be a lot more experienced than you. Right. So it it's just it's just hard to tell. And those are both markets that probably draw similar types of clients too, I would say. Exactly, think. yeah. All right. Uh, well, <clears throat> we won't keep you here forever, Jim. This oh, is this is the last question. 
The last one? Wow. The very okay. last one. Before we sign off, I, I just want to know about maybe the long-term um, structure of tax prep fees. You know, since you're the oracle on the mountain, Jim, I want to know. The oracle. <laughs> uh, we touched on it earlier. Uh, we've kind of, it's been a, a thread throughout the podcast, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, it did make significant changes uh, to itemize deductions, uh, the standard deduction. Since more taxpayers now qualify uh, for the standard deduction, and it is a pretty attractive uh, deduction, um, how does that impact, or does it, paid tax return preparers? And do you think that more taxpayers will choose to file their own return in the next five, 10 years? You know, I, I think it depends on, of course, it depends on the, the office and it depends on the clientele. And, it, and I, I think I maybe said this in the spring, but it remains to be seen for this year how that's going to affect our volume. Right. Even though the year prior we kind of warned people that, you know, next year you probably won't be able to itemize. The Schedule A business for us is not strong. We, we have a lot of clients that had filed Schedule A that won't anymore, but they have other things. They've got investments or rental property or all that. Mm. So I don't know how many of the – Schedule A clients had not already moved to self-prep already. And I think that's going to take some time for it to all shuffle out because really that was the only thing that kind of got removed with Schedule A and, and reimbursed expenses for employees. But what I do think is that the add-on service that we provide, whether it be t tax planning, being available for questions during the year, certainly um, the tax bill did not make taxes more simple, no. quite a bit more complex. So just being able to provide those services, and, and we didn't even touch on this, but the W-4 yeah. that just came out, you know, we took a look at it, and I mean, that's going to be a big ruckus at the beginning of the year. It's going to require a lot of time. So even something that's supposed to be that simple that a taxpayer is supposed to complete, I'm not sure they're going to struggle with it and employers are going to struggle with it. So there's always going to be that need for those types of things, even if Schedule A moves away. And again... Um, it's not getting simpler. It'll just get more complicated. And that's job security <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> now, for those at home who do want a copy of the How Do Your Tax Prep Fees Stack Up infographic, um, it does break down along the lines of uh, professional designation, market, state, um, those kinds of categories. So if you do want a copy of it, uh, just go to drakesoftware.com backslash blog and click downloads in the upper right hand corner of the screen uh, you will have to fill out a short form uh, but once you do you have access to all drake software downloads like the desk reference guide the drake software tax year 2019 desk reference guide which is now available do you have your copy jim i don't jim i'm waiting to go to the school and get a a, a color uh, one that's true mm -hmm. another another uh reason to go see us at those at those update schools <laughs> But if you do want it, just go to dragsoftware.com backslash blog, 
click downloads and you can scroll through we have that one again the desk reference guide we have the previous infographic that jim joined us to discuss um, uh, how did your filing season go and it goes back several years so you can kind of see how stuff has progressed if you're so inclined but that'll be it for today thanks for joining us again jim it's a pleasure as always to have you on glad to be here thanks that's it for today We'll see you all on the next Taxing Subjects podcast.